0: So Colossians, chapter two, verse six through 15. So then, we're building on where we went with Pastor Carl last week. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross,
1: And having disarmed
0: the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. There are some, there are some portions of scripture that seemed to defy the creation of a coherent sermon. And this week for this uh, passage and this particular preacher, this is one of those passages. No commentary or scholar, no amount of imaginative reading or translation comparison seemed to provide a hook, an anchor, a way into this passage that didn't come off as trite or it didn't just fail miserably at doing any kind of justice to this passage, which as you just heard is dense and packed and powerful and profound and complex. And as I wrestled with this passage, a bit more this week than normal, I realized that I was wrestling with it, encountering it, reading it, as a dense and complex and packed bit of theological teaching, which in one sense it absolutely is. There is so much depth here to plumb and to unpack and to explore and to study, But this passage, it's also a portion of a letter between a pastor and a church. A church that is wondering what it looks like to live their faith in a world that seems hard pressed to snuff them out, to marginalize them, to change them into something other than followers of Jesus Christ. This church is in a difficult spot they're unsure of who to listen to and who to follow and who has power and authority, and they're not completely certain of what voices to listen to, who's right and who's wrong. And, and what one person says, what one teacher says, conflicts with another teacher's, and it's all pretty messy and conflicting and confusing, and they have a really hard time what, understanding what it is what should they believe? anymore. Who should they listen to, and how in the world do they live it all? And then there's a pastor, Paul, and he's in his own predicament, as we've learned in this summer series. He's in prison. He's powerless, seemingly, at the mercy of a government that wants him dead, and he's wrestling with his own story of suffering, He's wrestling with his own deep concern for his people. He's far from them. He can't get to them. And he's heard all about these fine-sounding arguments that we heard about last week. These fine-sounding arguments that have been whispered into the ears of God's people, into their gatherings, preached as the word of God, but words that ring hollow, and empty, but words that are no less tempting and persuasive to God's people. A pastor and a church wondering together, wrestling together with how to make sense of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in a world that's a bit more gray than black and white, where things are a bit more messy, than organized or they can be a bit more difficult than easy and it can all be kind of confusing. Hearing this portion of scripture in that relationship and in that context, well all of a sudden it started sounding far closer to home for this pastor, for this preacher. Because in the past little while As I have sat with so many of you, prayed with you in living rooms and hospital rooms, in coffee shops, on my front porch and your back decks, I have witnessed a lot of stories of living and believing and trying to follow Jesus in a world that's a bit more gray than black and white. Where things are a bit messier where they're a bit more complicated where they are significantly more difficult. I have witnessed stories of emptiness and loneliness, stories of suffering and of loss. I've witnessed stories of hurt and deep disappointment, stories of illness, of unemployment. and stories of confusion and doubt. These are our stories. And into the honest wrestling of these stories that I have witnessed, that you have been so kind and honest to share with me, suddenly announcing into this space a theological assertion that in Christ you've been brought to fullness. Now overflow in thankfulness, amen, and get down from the pulpit, that seemed like it would do more harm than good. And given Paul's pastoral concern for his people, for this little church in Colossae, for his own personal story of suffering, I think to do that with this passage would do harm to what Paul meant with it too. Because Paul isn't esoterically lecturing on a disembodied nugget of theological scholarship. He is reminding a struggling group of disciples of Jesus about their identity in Christ. What difference does it make that they are in Christ? Reminding them of who they are and of whose They are. Because this this little church that Paul is writing to, that he is so pastorally concerned about, they're hearing a whole lot of other voices and stories telling them who they are, how they should live, what matters most, and how their life could have meaning. Now, we're not exactly sure what Paul is referring to when he talks about hollow and deceptive philosophy as his former undergrad in philosophy, it is not philosophy, it's a worldview. We don't know the particulars of what Paul's referring to, because again, we only hear one side of the conversation. It's like we're listening to a phone call, but we only get half of the phone call. But whatever it was for the Colossians that Paul was so deeply concerned about, it was a worldview that ran counter to the gospel. It was a human tradition without reference to Christ at all. That's why it's empty. Therefore, it's without substance. It's without truth and it's without grace. And the Colossians were being told a counter story to the gospel story. If you glimpse ahead just a little bit into verses 16 through 23, you get a sense, and we won't fully go there because that's where we're going to go next week, you get a sense that the counter story being preached here, this hollow and deceptive philosophy, it was all about adding something to the gospel. Adding something to the gospel that's simply not there. Whether it was more rules and regulations or connections with the spiritual realm or special visions, They were being taught that you had to have something else. It can't just be enough to be in Christ. There has to be something else that you can do to ensure that God hears, that God listens, and that you belong. And Pastor Paul is just over here waving his hands from his prison cell, going, don't be taken in. Don't be held captive by that nonsense. That's not who you are. That is certainly not who Jesus is. That is not our story. That's not our story. (laughs) The Colossians aren't the only ones to be taken in by a counter story to the gospel story. We're surrounded by stories. We're surrounded by stories that tell us about what our life is really about, how we can really be happy or find meaning, what story will get us out of the muck that we're currently in. And we can often give in to those counter stories. And we can be especially vulnerable to this hollow and deceptive worldview when our stories have taken a turn that we didn't expect when our stories have taken a turn that we did not want, when our world is a bit more gray than it is black and white, when things get difficult and confusing and messy. So we become a little bit more inclined to the voice telling us different stories that promise to make sense of our own story. that if we only purge our whole house of what doesn't spark joy, we will find happiness. If we only buy that that new look off the rack, or that, mm, that car, or that contraption, oh, or that beautiful house, we will finally be content. Or if we only stop those people from coming in, well, then our jobs would be safe, and we'd all have work. Or if we only figure out what went wrong, we would know how to fix our kids' problems, and maybe they'd come back to church. Or if we only found the right spiritual practice and stuck with it, We could appease God and then maybe he would finally answer our prayers like he seems to do for everybody else. If we only, then life would straighten itself out. It would get a little less messy, a little less confusing and a little less difficult. In my efforts to get a handle on this passage this week, to wrestle some kind of faithful sermon out of this portion of Scripture, I opened up a book on my shelf called Union with Christ by J. Todd Billings. It's got a great name. Todd, as he goes by, is a seminary professor, a minister in the Reformed Church of America, and he has made his name by unpacking and researching and writing books on this little phrase that pervades Paul's writings and letters. The phrase is, in Christ. In Christ. Here in our own passage this morning, which is one of the reasons I went to his book, is that in Christ, or the equivalent of in him, it occurs like nine times explicitly in our, in our passage. And, and in him, in Christ, is Paul's shorthand for the gospel. It's his way of saying that because of Jesus, everything is different. So because of Jesus, all of God's promises are for us. Because of Jesus, we have been forgiven. Because of Jesus, we have been made alive. Because of Jesus, we've been baptized into a new life. Because of Jesus because we are in him, because we are in Christ. So obviously, as a researcher and a theologian, Todd picked a great topic with lots to keep him writing books about for years to come. It's rich, it's expansive, he can go anywhere in it. He has got a career ahead of him. And he's pretty good at it, which is why I went to him. My my copy of his book is Underline. it's got arrows and asterisks and exclamation marks, and basically what I do to a book when I absolutely love it and geek out about it. There's richness to his work. But Todd doesn't necessarily have a long career ahead of him. He doesn't have years to come to delve into his research. Because at 39, in 2015, he was diagnosed with a rare and a terminal form of cancer a cancer that had taken residence in his body and, in his particular case, in his blood. In his life and his work and his faith, his story became so much more messy and confusing and difficult than he had ever planned or ever imagined. He went from writing theological books on our life in Christ to updating his care page on the hospital website, documenting and processing for family, for friends, for the people who have appreciated his work, on just what all this meant. What, if any difference, it now made for him to be in Christ while in the oncology unit. What did all his teaching and research and all that he unpacked in these two little little words, what difference did it make? What difference did it make? In these situations, you get a lot of cards. You get a lot of notes. You get a lot of people trying to say the right thing and oftentimes failing miserably, even pastors. Of all the cards that Todd received during that time, Many talking about cures, pointing them to God's healing power, saying that if you just prayed hard enough, you could return to work and health and life, and it would all be okay. The best one, he said, that he received was from a 16-year-old girl in his church. She had Down syndrome, and she sent him a note, and it said, get well soon. Jesus loves you, and God is bigger than your cancer. Get well soon. Jesus loves you, Todd. And God is bigger than your cancer. Why did that feel more true to him than cards talking about God's healing power and just praying hard enough? After an intense year of chemo and quarantine, Todd wrote, even when we feel left in the dark, even when suffering and death seem senseless. We are connected by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit to groan, to lament, and even to rejoice. God's promise is trustworthy. And the same Spirit has united us to Christ, through whom we are able to call out to the Father, as children, we rejoice, we lament. And in all of this, our own stories are not preserved in a pristine way. We are displaced. Our stories don't turn out the way we thought they would, but they are incorporated into a much larger story God's story. In Christ. This theologian, this struggling disciple of Jesus, leaned into the truth that that 16-year-old girl in his church knew. That our stories never go exactly how we thought they would. No one's story is pristine. No one's story is uncomplicated. No one's story skips over the messy and the difficult and the confusing. Not even when you believe in Jesus. Not even when you are in Christ. But because of Jesus, because of being in Christ, our stories are grounded in a much bigger story. In Christ, our stories of failure and sin are grounded in a bigger story of forgiveness and reconciliation. In Christ, our stories of doubt and fear are grounded in a bigger story of faithfulness and relationship. In Christ, our stories of loneliness and emptiness are grounded in a bigger story of love, unending, and community. In Christ, our stories of death and dying are grounded in a bigger story of life and resurrection. So fellow disciples of Jesus, wherever you are in your story, whether this particular chapter or page or paragraph of yours is a bit more difficult than easy, confusing than certain, hear the word of God for you this morning. Spoken by one pastor to his church in Colossae and from this pastor to her church here in Kitchener. just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. Continue to live your lives, your stories in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith that you've been taught. And when you can, overflow with thankfulness. That his story is bigger than ours. That our story is never the last word. Because there is no other story that satisfies. There is no other story that offers life. And there is no other story that matters. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please pray with me. Our faithful God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, we come before you in the middle, in the middle of our own stories, the middle of your story, thankful for all that your Son has accomplished for us, invited us into, for his love, forgiveness, reconciliation, and grace. And we come before you sometimes more filled with doubt than fear, sometimes filled a bit more with confusion than clarity. So we ask that your spirit speaks to us where we're at and what we need, speaking to us of your promises, of your story, of the grace of it all. In the love of it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.